Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. This episode will also do a director analysis of James Cameron and discuss his mastery of the art of the sequel by talking about Aliens and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So good. Just so fantastic. As you know, I love that theme song. It's your absolute favorite. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the news. Mm -hmm. And we just got an update on the DC Universe. What's going on over there? That's not what this is. And it is quite disappointing. Do you want me to say the. I do want you to say it. Babe, new horrible DC news just dropped. Get up. We gotta, we gotta look at it. So, Henry Cavill is no longer going to play Superman. He released a statement on his Instagram, and then James Gunn at the same time followed up on Twitter and put out the message that they are going with a younger Superman. Henry Cavill will no longer be wearing the cape. James Gunn will be writing the new Superman. <laughs> I wouldn't hear another little gag. It's going to be called The Superman <laughs> in honor of the Batman and The Suicide Squad. Probably won't be, but honestly, at this point, I mean, that's the way things have gone. So they could end up calling it the Superman. It's on it's on record now that you are predicting it. And so when when the news does get announced, we can take the audio from this part of the episode and clip it in. Exactly. Yeah. And then this all but confirms that there's going to be a hard reboot for yeah. the DC universe. I'm not which, surprised. I'll be honest, I am surprised. I did not think that they would go for this. I thought just they were going to go for it. It just seems like it's a a massive losing battle regardless to try mm-hmm. and reset the whole thing. I think there's a way to move forward with what you had. And Henry Cavill was one of the best things that you had. Mm-hmm. He was a very solid Superman. It would have been great to see him actually get a chance to flourish in that yeah. role, get his own sequel. But now, after... He just came back two months ago for a cameo in Black Adam. He is ousted from the role. Yeah. So I am I am of a different opinion when it comes to the future of DC, which is why I'm excited for us to do our DC pitch episode. I think that'll Mm -hmm. be a lot of fun. But I am very sad that Henry Cavill is gone, especially with it looking so bright for his future as Superman. I mean, it, it really seemed like he was coming back, at least for a few more movies. And now he has to move on. And that's very sad for me, especially because this was like his big, one of his biggest breakthrough roles, you know, Superman. Exactly. He has to say goodbye to that career making role, which is, you know, in such negative terms, you know, he doesn't get a a final farewell. He doesn't get closure, you know. That That is the most brutal part. And James Gunn has also mentioned in that whole thread, he said that, the DC slate is ready to go and we'll get more information early January. So we can look forward mm-hmm. to that. 
But yeah, Henry Cavill will no longer be a part of that future for the DCU. And yeah. I am excited for our pitch episode. We'll probably do it in late January, early February, something like that. Yeah, sounds about right. To coincide with whenever this late drops and we can see how our own preferred visions for the DC universe differ from what James mm -hmm. Gunn lays out. Yeah. But yeah, that'll be interesting to see that unfold. We have another update with Patty Jenkins. Remember last week we broke the Wonder Woman news. That was the first sort of hint that something big may be going on behind the scenes with DC. And mm -hmm. now we have a bit more information with it. Patty Jenkins made her own statement saying that she did not walk away. That, in fact, Wonder Woman 3 was put on hold from those higher up. And, of course, with Henry Cavill leaving, that makes a lot of sense now. Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot also mm -hmm. seem to not be a part of the future. And yeah, yeah, they're gonna have to recast everyone. But here's the thing that's most silly about this. Yeah. All next year they have these films that are carryovers from the DCEU, from the Snyderverse. Yeah. You've got mm -hmm. Shazam 2. Then you have The Flash, which is the film that we believe is gonna serve as the reset. But after that, you have Aquaman 2 coming out in December. So whatever they do with the Flash, if they use that as the reset, they're still gonna have the Aquaman movie, and all the cameos Ooh. that they filmed too. Batfleck was supposed to have a cameo for Aquaman. Yeah. He and Henry Cavill were supposed to have cameos in The Flash. Wonder Woman is in Shazam. So are they going to try and cut out all these cameos and, you know, moments where the characters show up? Or yeah. are they going to just leave them in and be like, we'll figure it out later? Because if you're going to use Flash as the reset, how are you going to have characters from the Snyderverse show up afterwards unless they just move the timeline and say oh well the flash actually happens after whatever he was on in Aquaman 2 but then yeah that, just would, that, was no longer Aquaman. that would be the worst move I mean it would be stupid but if you really did want to reset it with the flash you could just say it takes place after these movies I mean they did the same thing with Black Widow you know I mean yeah they did and it's stupid but you could do it easily very easily it's an interesting sort of position they're in. And yeah, we'll see how all that goes next year with yeah. those films, what they do with it. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And now we can move on to the last bit of news. We got the Golden Globe nominations for the 2023 Golden Globes. It is uh, an important benchmark for our Oscar race, our Oscar draft. And uh, we get to talk about some of those notable ones, the major categories. Let's start, uh, I want to work our way up. Let's start with Best Actress in a Drama or Comedy or Musical. First with the Drama nominees, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, Viola Davis for, uh, what was Viola Davis in? The Woman King. Uh, of course. Uh, Olivia Coleman for Empire of Light and Ana de Armas for Blonde, which was shocking to me. And, uh, of course, for Comedy or Musical, Leslie Manville for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Michelle Yao for uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Margot Robbie for Babylon, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Menu, and Emma Thompson for, uh, what was she in? She was in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Ah, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Any any major upsets here? Any disappointments? So, I mean, there are some shocking ones like Ana de Armas in there. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Deadweiler is not here, and that was a big snub. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah people are wondering now about her oscar chances if she'll be able to get in there mm -hmm. she's been a big 
favorite in the past few months for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's nice that they have the comedy category, so some other uh, actresses can get recognized, like mm-hmm. Leslie Manville, Anya Taylor Joy. They're probably not going to get in the Oscar conversation, so it's good yeah. that they're at least able to get a nod here. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. and of what course, is- with the Golden Globes, they always do have odd picks that don't necessarily translate into potential Oscar nominations. There's a lot of times where there are upsets where people win for Golden Globes and then aren't even nominated for Oscars. You know, this happens. A lot. I mean, there's only 70 voting members in the for the Golden Globe. So, I mean, the pool is just so much smaller that it becomes much more specific what they're voting for. That's true. So odd things can happen. Like on the Armas. Is it still 70 or have they because, you know, they the might have upped it a little bit, but it's still significantly less than the American Motion Picture of Arts Association for the Oscars. I mean, they have what thousands yeah. of voting members. For sure. But yeah, I yeah. think they have expanded their pool a little bit. But yeah. as you mentioned, yeah, they definitely have a bit more of a strange taste as compared to the Oscars one. Mm-hmm. In terms of best actor for the drama, Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Jeremy Pope for The Inspection, Bill Nye for Living, Hugh Jackman for The Sun, and then comedy slash musical, Diego Calva for Babylon, Adam Driver for White Noise, Daniel Craig for Glass Onion, Ralph Fiennes for... Menu and then or Ray Fines for Menu and then Colin Farrell for Banshees. This one was a little more cut and dry. It was a little more less surprises. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, I mean, Daniel Craig gets a nod. Adam Driver gets a nod in the comedy categories. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of actor for drama, Hugh Jackman probably won't make an appearance at the Oscars since The Sun is not well received. Jeremy Pope also probably will not. Um, But yeah, Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser and Colin Farrell. These are the major ones to look out for. They're the mm-hmm. front runners. So, yeah, yeah, they're recognized here, and that makes sense. And we'll see who wins. I mean, Colin Farrell should be able to win in his category. Mm-hmm. And between Butler and Fraser, we'll get a better idea of where the Oscars might go. Yeah. And then for Best Picture Comedy and Musical, we have Babylon, Banshees of it. it is it in a Sharon or in Sharon? I'm pretty sure it's in a Sharon. Yes. Uh, in a Sharon. Yeah. In a Sharon. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Glass Onion and Triangle of Sadness. To me, I think Everything, Everywhere, All at Once deserves it the most, but it's a toss up between the first three without me yeah. having seen Babylon at this point. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet yeah. either. Um, I mean, they do like uh, Martin McDonough at the Golden Globes, so it might be Banshees. That is true. So yeah, that'll be another bellwether to see if everything ever all at once, if it wins here. I mean, that is very good for its chances at the Oscars. Same thing for Banshees of Inishirin. That's another front runner that's emerged as of late. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, Babylon I haven't seen yet. So we'll have to see, but it's great that it's still in the conversation. Mm. Uh, in terms of best picture drama, we have Avatar 2, Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. So what are your thoughts on these selections? Honestly, when you look at all 10 of those movies in drama and comedy, it's pretty pretty cut and dry. I mean, it's pretty much what I expected. Again, I don't think there were any huge surprises anywhere here, except for maybe Triangle of Sadness. I mean, it won the Palme d'Or, but I didn't think it was 
going to carry through to the Golden Globes, and I'm not sure if it'll carry through the Oscars. But other than Triangle Sadness, it's kind of what I expected. I'm a little surprised something like Women Talking didn't make it in. Yeah, it was very underrepresented at the Globes. Yeah. I don't think that'll be the case for the Oscars. But yeah, that was the only real surprise there. I'm also a little surprised The Whale didn't make it on drama, but because there's only 10 or because there's only five nominations for Best Picture Drama, I'm not too surprised. I'm a little surprised that Elvis is there, I will say. As a movie, it's kind of kind of shocking. It uh, bodes really well for me because Elvis is gaining a lot of traction lately. So yeah. it seems like that will actually get into Best Picture for Oscars. Mm. It will probably overperform in some of the other categories as well. I get into editing and all that stuff. We know it's yeah. going to get actor and costumes, but yeah, it should get quite a few more nominations that we weren't initially expecting. Yeah. After the Golden Globes, do you feel uh, confident in your Oscar draft? I think it'll still be very close. I think you... I agree it will be close. ...win, but I think I still have a good chance. It just you really do. comes down to if any one of your films sweep, because I think you have the better selection for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. will probably come from one of your films. Possibly best director as well, but if the technicals, if I'm able to clean up there, mm. like with Elvis and then Tar getting the performances, Babylon getting a lot of technicals, and then here and there, maybe some like Top Gun Maverick getting some, then I could see me just edging you out. But yeah, I think you have a really good selection. I think yeah. I have a pretty solid selection too. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see. But in terms of other notable things from the Golden Globes, Tom Cruise was not Slugged. given Best Actor nomination. Yeah. So that takes away his chances for Oscars. I mean, if the Globes didn't go for it, the Oscars probably won't. Kihi Kwan got in for Supporting Actor. He'll likely win. Yes. Jamie Lee Curtis got in for Supporting Actress. That was surprising. It was surprising. Angela Bassett got in for Supporting Actress, the first Marvel performance to get in uh, a Golden Globe nomination for a performance. Mm. And then on the TV side, just as something to point out, Better Call Saul did get nominated for Best Television Series. Bob Odenkirk got a nod for Best Actor, but Ray Seahorn did not get a nomination for TV Actress. That is, is a travesty. That is a travesty. That is absolutely horrific. It is absurd that they keep doing this. Like, yeah. come on. It's ridiculous. They can't keep getting away with this. Really they can't. can't keep getting away with this. That's horrible. Truly, Honestly, truly. I'm, this is why I don't like the Golden Globes that much. You know, they've always done this. They've always had snubs and surprises. Because their their voting pool is so small, and I I dislike it. Mm -hmm. Remember when when, remember when uh, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson won for uh, what was that? What was that movie he was in? Uh the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Oh my I god! Know. I don't know, but he was nominated against a bunch of heavyweights who and all he, and he won. It was Nocturnal Animals. Mm. He won for Nocturnal Animals. Aaron remember Taylor Johnson. Was, yes. And what of course, was his he, role he, in that? he was like the evil guy. I don't even know. I didn't even watch he was it. The kidnapper. I think so. Yes. Yes. And and, and he won. And even he was surprised. <laughs> I'd be too. I mean, I don't even remember him being in that film. So yeah, didn't leave that big of an impression. Really weird. Yeah, he was in there. Yeah. What with Michael Shannon? Because he was actually the bad guy. So who even was Aaron Taylor Johnson in that film? I don't remember him at all. He's that in there. Crazy. And he won a Golden Globe for it. Huh. 
Very weird. Anyway, let's move on to our box office breakdown for December 9th to December 11th, which was a while ago. Let's start with number one, of course, Black Panther Wakanda Forever made $11 million. That is its fifth week on top, and, of course, its last. And it has surpassed the Batman worldwide. Violent Honestly, night. I am satisfied, but it did not blow away my expectations. Didn't hit a billion. Nope. Looking like it's not going to hit $900 million, yeah. in the $800 million range. So, yeah, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't uh, a big overperformer. Mm-hmm. Violent Night came in second with $8.7 million, bringing its domestic to $26 million. Strange World made $3.7 million, bringing its domestic total to $30 million, a very large bomb. Oof. The Menu with $2.7 million. It's Devotion. around like $27 million now, so yeah it, yeah, it may end up overtaking Strange World at the end of its run. Yeah. Devotion with $2 million. Black Adam, one point three million. The Fablemans, one point one seven million. Met Opera, The Hours, with eight hundred thousand. I heard the bells with seven hundred and fifty-two thousand. And spoiler alert with seven hundred thousand, rounding out the top ten. Now let's move on to the predictions for this weekend, the sixteenth to the eighteenth. Avatar: The Way of Water is, of course, opening wide. And let's talk about it. What do you think it'll get, if you don't already know? But more importantly, what do you think it'll get worldwide in its final full run? Let's get those predictions out. Million. Well, for worldwide, like your total final prediction of its whole run. Oh, the whole run? Yeah. What do you think it'll end up at? 1.2, billion. Really? billion? Yep. I mean, this is crazy talk. Now, this is not including re-releases, let me tell you this, because God knows they're going to re-release it every time one of these new Avatar movies comes out. I mean, sure. I'm just saying right now, from now until when it fizzles out the first time, 1.2, 1.3 billion. Interesting. Yep. As I have said. I do not think it's going to crack two. Many times. I think 1.5 billion, it's going to get there. And then I think it has a shot at two billion. I think it's going to get I'm not hopeful. It's going to have the holds throughout Christmas season, the holiday season, and through January where nothing comes out. I think it is going to surpass 1.5 billion. Certainly going to surpass 1.2, 1.3 billion. I think it can, if it has really strong holds, I think it can get there. Two billion. I think, I think it is more likely to hold on longer than the average movie would. But I don't think it has the legs that the original one had because that one lasted for a long time. I mean, it made 77 or so million in opening weekend domestically and ended up making like 750 million domestically. Well, yeah, I don't think the time it's not going to have legs like that. A 10 times multiplier. I don't think we're going to get that. But I think, you know, it can perform similar to Maverick just this past year, get a five times multiplier and it'll do quite well in China. That was a big question mark of whether it would do well there mm. china is really suffering from a big covid surge right now so it doesn't seem like china will help out too much nope. that could have been like 400 million from china doesn't seem like it's going to get there maybe that's more, why i hundred million but i think that is still... one of the reasons i'm hesitant on my prediction here surpassing 1.3 billion is because china is not providing the way it usually does 
and the American box office very, very front loaded for a lot of these blockbuster movies. And I don't think it'll be as front loaded as like a superhero movie is because those are the most front loaded for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think it's not going to be as sustainable as the first. Interesting. I do think for sure it will cross a billion. Well, yeah, absolutely. And then I think, I don't know, I think it'll be able to have solid holiday season legs. It'll propel it well. And then also it's a James Cameron movie and they always tend to have that for whatever reason. So I think it'll be able to leg out quite well. But we will see. You're saying 1.3. I'm saying 2 Billy. We'll see where it comes out to. Yeah, absolutely. Perhaps a happy medium. But Maybe. Either 1.5. I think it'll be more than enough to secure my victory for the box office. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> With Puss in Boots. Mm-hmm. But all right, we'll now talk about James Cameron, his little biography, talk about his career. He was born August 16th, 1954. He's now 68 years old. Damn. His father was an electrical engineer. His mother was an artist. The best and of both worlds. Exactly. And he has a particular fascination with sci-fi, which makes sense, and... With artistry, he was encouraged to paint at an early age from his mother. So he had those influences from both parents. He knew that he wanted to be a filmmaker after seeing uh, Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And when he was in college, he was studying physics at California State University. Wasn't quite satisfied. So he switched from the science side that his father influenced him on over to literature, that more artsy side that his mother influenced him on. But he still wasn't satisfied there. So he dropped out and started working these odd jobs. And then it wasn't until he saw Star Wars in 1977 where mm-hmm. he was energized to go make movies again because he saw his two interests, his loves, science and art. They merged together so wonderfully in Star Wars. And so he's like, I have got to start doing that again. And then he made a short film in 1978 called Xenogenesis with a couple of his friends. Then he used that to get into Roger Corman's production company, which was focusing on all this B-movie schlock. But he was able to work his way up from PA to becoming a miniature model maker Mm -hmm. on Battle Beyond the Stars in 1980, where he met his first wife, Gail Ann Hurd, who was a producer. And then... He was able to level up to some special effects work on John Carpenter's Battle for New York in 1981. And then that allowed him to be entrusted with the director's chair for Piranha 2 The Spawning, which came out in 1981. So yes, we're calling him the master of the sequel. And he mm-hmm. started out, his first film was a sequel. However, yeah. it was it's not a- too good because apparently yeah, the producer was involved, like the whole crew was mm-hmm. italian i think so he couldn't even communicate with them it yeah. was a whole mess but yeah. yeah that's where he cut his teeth and then yeah. from there he was able to co-write the terminator with gail and Hurd, work on some other scripts and that was really the beginning of his sensational career and what yeah. was the the next few films that he had well from there him? of course he made Terminator, and while he was making Terminator, he was working on the scripts for Rambo 2, which he contributed a lot to with Sylvester Stallone, and Alien 2, which he was tapped into direct even, and he called it Aliens because there was more than one. And that was a 
very large success as well as was Terminator. They were both they were both very very good movies, and from that success, he was catapulted into 1989's The Abyss, and then after that, he returned to the Terminator with a huge budget for T2: Judgment Day, which was uh, awesome. And from there, he was pitching around this idea for Titanic, which was the first one of the first movies he would make that was not super sci-fi oriented or action oriented. Despite, you know, despite the the whole, you know, ship sinking. And he was heavily doubted and, and pushed around because they, he wanted a huge budget and he had huge ambitions. He wanted to sink a ship, you know? I mean, he really wanted to go for it. And they were like, uh, that's, you know, this whole budget is going to be expensive. I mean, you're going to be flooding a bunch of rooms and stuff. And you're going to be making a bunch of models and sinking those models. It's going to be very, very expensive. And he said, no, I'm James Cameron, damn it. Give me the money. And they said, all right, I guess you are, James Cameron. Here you go. And it became the biggest movie in the world. Talk about an underdog story there. I mean, a movie about the Titanic sinking became huge, huge. Mm-hmm. And Two he billion. won the Oscar for Best Director for it because that's what he deserved. He earned it. And then from there... He built these little robot things with different sci-fi companies and then started exploring the ocean, which had nothing to do with filmmaking other than the documentaries he made while down there. Mm -hmm. He just found the real Titanic, went to the deepest part of the ocean, first person to do so, James Cameron, wild. And then he spent a long time pitching around his idea for the next sci-fi epic involving uh, an indigenous race of aliens being attacked by evil corporate human beings and that would turn into avatar which he was pushed to make after watching the two towers and seeing how great Gollum looked in that he said finally the technology is ready mm-hmm. and he was finally able to get his budget for it even though it was going to be another big budget movie and they were still doubtful of him even though he delivered with titanic and he came back again and he dethroned himself and avatar became the number one movie in the world ever he was incredible. And from there, he took another break. And he did a bunch of advocacy for, for the environment and different indigenous groups. And then was like, fuck it. Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5. Let's do it. <laughs> let's fucking go for it. And he has spent the past decade working on the technology, the CGI, the, the ability to film actors underwater, and just everything that he possibly could to make these movies as technologically advanced as possible. Spent a decade working on this and has now returned with Avatar The Way of Water, as well as the three other sequels that will be following it over the next decade. James Cameron is back, baby. And this time we don't have to wait 10 or so years for his next movie because he's on a roll. He's done it. The decade of Big Jim is here (laughs) once again. All right. So, yep, that is James Cameron's career up to this point. Of course, I mean everyone knows he's the the man that loves to push the boundaries with film technology, with VFX, performance capture, all that stuff. Also a phenomenal action director. Amazing in terms of his big spectacle, huge scale stories, usually oriented around sci-fi as you brought up, but yeah, with Titanic he's able to go back to a period piece. So he can dabble in different things here and there. Um, mm-hmm. And then a little signature 
is he was a part of creating two of the most iconic female action stars ever with mm. the main character in the two films that we will discuss with Aliens with Ripley and then T2 with Sarah Connor. So amazing stuff. Now, let us chat yeah. about the art of the sequel. Let's do it. Everyone knows mm-hmm. that it is hard to make a good sequel. Absolutely. Plenty of great first films, but more often than not, the sequel sucks. And then it yeah. kills the franchise right then and there. But there are a handful of sequels that are really good, really on par with the original. Mm-hmm. And then there is a very prestigious limited group of films which are even better yeah. than the original film. Can you think of any additions other than Aliens and Terminator 2 and Spider-Man 2? I would say The Dark Knight. Mm. I would say Mad Max Fury Road. Okay, yeah, sure. Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, 100%. Franchises, for sure, it's easier to, to up the ante, for sure. Right, yeah. Although there are many cases where, yeah, they tend to they falter. falter. A lot, the lot more cases where it falters than where it gets better, for sure. And then I know you necessarily wouldn't agree with this. And I'd have to see. I'd have to go through each of them. But Empire Strikes Back, I think, is the better film film. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it ups the ante so much. And the filmmaking is much better. And the story is really solid. But I would agree the, the original is so classic. I so. would agree that the ante gets upped. I would say that there are story issues that are present that I didn't notice until the last time I watched it. The only I was one so enthralled that I know by... you bring up is Leia not being oh. as prominent. My God, she just gets sidestepped so hard. It's horrible. I couldn't believe it watching it. I couldn't I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like I really thought they weren't gonna go for that. And they did. Like I, mean, I never I'll noticed to, it before. I had to never go back noticed and see. it. What it is, and then analyze the screen time in Star Wars versus Empire Strikes Back. But Ooh. yeah, I would say, I mean, at least it's on par. But yeah, I would say, I would probably, say it's I close. Mean, I would say it's very close. Yeah. But what about you? There's there certainly any... more examples of movies that like bomb being sequels, like the Jurassic Park sequels. Very true. Uh, the Jaws sequels. Oh, Any, anytime anyone tries to follow a Steven Spielberg movie, except for Indiana Jones, the Indiana Jones sequels are are, are two for three good. <laughs> so yeah, we even don't need that, to talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Tracker. Skull. Yeah, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull kind of falters, and then we'll see about uh, Dial of Destiny. Maybe yep. that'll bring it back around. Maybe, I have my hopes, maybe. but yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to follow perfection. You know? It really is, especially if it's because yeah, those all the films I mentioned. I mean, the first one is solid. Yeah, I'd say that's most why of they them get. Are that's why they yeah. are greenlit to make a sequel is because they're so good in the first place, or at least successful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would say those I mentioned are certainly improvements. Are there any I didn't mention that you want to add to the pile? I think you hit the highlights. Um, some of the Harry Potter sequels are for sure better, but those are kind of, that's kind of a separate thing. There's just so many yeah. and they're all kind of individual stories. They right. aren't necessarily sequels. Um, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings is similar to that. It's kind of like one big movie. Um, mostly franchises. I will, well, they're all franchises, but mostly like, like 
non-independent franchises, you know, like not something you just created and then followed up like Aliens or Terminator 2. A lot of these are like based on books or something, something like right. that, or based on comic books. Like it's easy to make a sequel to a comic book movie. Yeah, those or things like were a, intended to be like series, like to yeah. be more than just one film, whereas Alien, exactly. Terminator, they were, you know, they initially were like, envisioned as one-offs and then they yeah. were like, all right, can we come back? That's to the hardest thing to do is if work. you create a one-off that's incredible to follow it up with another one and have it be just as good is very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super true. All right. So let's talk about, we know that like, it's... Imagine if they had made Titanic 2. Like... <laughs> there is a Titanic 2. There is? There's yeah. no way. There is. I mean, obviously is James about? Cameron is not involved. Well, they decided to make another Titanic ship and then it sank. Oh my God, you're right. I have heard about this. You know what? You know what sucks? That could have been a great movie. Could it have been? I think the premise is so wild that it could have been a great movie. Imagine if it was like super sci-fi and they're like, we're just going to do it again. And then it gets messed. Ah, it could have been good. It could have been. It would have been just as stupid as Jurassic Universe. And it could have been good. Jurassic Universe is a great idea, but we should. Yeah, so is Titanic 2, but they fucked it up. Let's pitch Titanic 2 then. Bring it back for a third. Let's do it. Let's just say Titanic (laughs) 3. Go for it. Boom. Just as good. Titanic in space would be awesome. There's so much. You you raise the stakes by putting it in space. It's true. Although I don't know if the sinking could be done quite as well. You have to be creative in how you figure that out. But. I mean, they did do. There's an episode of Futurama, which is just the Titanic in space. Well, it seems like. They and then they, they, it. they, yep. yeah, they did do it, and then they did execute it masterfully. I guess it would just be a ripoff because they just make fun of Titanic the whole time, and it's it's perfect. And then the whole thing sinks into a black hole. Oh, that's how they do. It? That's how they yeah. were doing it. That's how they do it. It's pretty good. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. They, they know. Yeah. So we don't have to they worry about any Titanic sequels, but. Yeah, for those other Titanic, but it's a train, you and they're heading right for a sinkhole. You should do it. To be honest, I think you would. <laughs> you love doing that. But if there's anybody who likes the movies involving robbing trains, it's me. Exactly, they're robbing the train as it's sinking into that sinkhole. That'd be fantastic. I would actually watch. It. Yeah, honestly, a Titanic off, style movie, but on a train. That would be my pitch too. It's Titanic on a train, and. There wouldn't be a lot of people interested, but somebody would. And I could get it made, and it would be amazing. Do it. And I would win Best Director. I'd be there for you. It's an interesting idea. Let's keep talking about Yeah. Just to make it out of respect. (laughs) Yeah. But what would you consider to be part of what makes a good sequel? I mean, like you said, upping the ante for sure is definitely the go-to. You have to make it even more intense. There has to be even higher stakes. Otherwise, it's like, why make a sequel? Why make mm-hmm. a sequel if it's not going to be as crazy as the first one? It needs to be crazier. You know, We're coming back to see what we saw and what we loved about the first one, but jacked up to an 11. You know, Make it even more wild. Make it, make it even more action-y if it's an action movie or make it more... I have noticed that the ones we were talking about, they're action movies. You know, we're talking about like an actual action movie where you're upping the stakes. There's not a lot of like, I mean, maybe we'll watch before, uh, before sunrise or before sunset and we'll like it more than before sunrise. You know, that'll be another example of upping the stakes, but it's like, you know, just making it more complex 
taking what you've done and acknowledging it, but not copying it and instead developing it further, keeping, keeping the groove going without going back on what you just did. You know, the movie you made had a lesson at the end of it, whatever it was, your characters learn something about themselves or the world that they're in and you can't go back on it, but you can push it even further. Mm -hmm. That's what's important. Yeah, very true. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it definitely has to be bigger. It can't just be a retread, but there needs to be some level of familiarity. Yeah. You want to just push it further or put a little spin on it. And we'll talk about what is done in Aliens and T2 to do that. But I think they're like masterful examples of mm -hmm. that sort of principle in the, yeah. in the sequel of how you do that. Um, and then, yeah, just being more complex, not just in terms of the action set pieces you're doing or the stakes that you were setting up the problem that you're plunging your character into but the emotional complexity as well you want to dig deeper into the character into their psyche if they've like they learned that lesson at the end of the previous film but they also probably will carry some scars from whatever they went through in that past film so dig into that explore that how is their life changed how are their beliefs different because of what they had to endure and how they had to come out on the other side of it how did that change them? Like dig into that, mm -hmm. which is another thing that uh, these two films do extremely well. Um, and then <laughs> this is one that James Cameron does specifically with his sequels. Throw in a child and make the main character have to enter a protector role yeah. as part of building up the stakes more and fleshing out that emotional complexity. They now have to build this connection with this kid that they're responsible for and that's how you have a very immediate emotional core the relationship yeah. between those two characters and then you up the stakes because anytime they're in danger we're now knowing okay the new goal is to save them protect them um, and yeah it's able to tie together the action and the mm -hmm. emotion really well yeah. so he does that <laughs> with every sequel and he did it with avatar as well avatar yeah. 2 a lot of kids so. He's like, we're gonna we're gonna put explosions in the back here. They're gonna line the tree line back here. We're gonna cross some gunfire back and forth this way, and then we're gonna have a helicopter swoop in and drop some big bombs right in the foreground, and put a kid right in the middle. Exactly. That's his plan. I mean, that's what he does. Three sequels in a row. Yeah, I'm sure if he had Titanic two, <laughs> he would have thrown in a kid. Yeah, Rose has I mean, a child. I now she's stuck on Titanic. Um. So yeah. That's uh, that's what we got for what makes a solid sequel. Yeah. And it's amazing how, I mean, it's fairly easy to pinpoint that. Like, it's mm -hmm. fairly intuitive to know that's what we got to do. But it's so difficult to truly pull that off. And again, mm -hmm. we mentioned maybe seven or eight films that truly are able to pull that off and be just yeah. as good, if not better, than the original. Yeah. There's so many that are just not able to hit that. I think there's so, so many writers who go to write a sequel and they're so scared to create something completely different than the first one, but then they're also so scared to uh, rip off the first one entirely. And so they can't find the middle ground and like they'll be tugged one way or another. And there's got to be a way of like, like understanding what that first movie was about without ripping it off and creating something new, but not completely ignoring that first movie. Right. There is that perfect middle ground. And I think it's hard to find because you might be too scared to go one way or another. It's about confidence, you know? 
confidence in the story you're telling and complete understanding of what that original story was about. If you know for sure why you were writing that first story or what, like, I mean, Alien was written by not James Cameron. And James Cameron came and was like, I understand what Alien was about. I understand what it was doing. I'm going to do something very different for Aliens, but I'm going to tie in similar themes from Alien and amp it up and develop the character of Ripley even more based on what she went through in that first movie. Coming into this as someone who didn't even write the first one. And then Terminator 2, he did write the first one. So he understands what he was doing from a filmmaking perspective and from a writing perspective with Sarah Connor and with the Terminator and what that was supposed to be. And he was able to crank it up because he had that understanding and he was able to crank it up. And he, you know, redelivers a lot of iconic lines in the second movie, creates a bunch of new iconic lines, uh, recreates a lot of iconic moments. And he's paying homage a lot into the first movie he made, but creates a bunch of new cool stuff as well. Right, for sure. Yeah. As a random aside on that mm-hmm. note, because I picked that up when watching Terminator 2, like he had those various callbacks. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, how did they know a line was truly iconic back in the day? Like before yeah. oh. the internet and whatnot, where you can see that get used in memes or things like that a lot. I think it's just everybody goes up to Arnold Schwarzenegger and goes, I'll be back. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, James, you wrote this quote for me. And everybody (laughs) says, I'll be back. Right. And James is like, I guess that's a great line. I got to write it in again. Man, everybody loves this line. Yeah, that one. And then the. Or ripping it off. Yeah, ripping it off in uh, other. In parodies and whatnot. I wonder like how, like how much attention would you pay to that? as one of the filmmakers i feel like yeah i'd be much more likely if people are coming up to them and saying those sort of lines rather than mm-hmm. if you see a spoof or an snl skit or something like that i feel like yeah. that's less likely to make you be like oh that's an iconic line um, but yeah it is fascinating how he was able to bring in those iconic lines he also does it for avatar 2 which Don't tell me. another reason why i was wondering does james cameron like does he just go back to his old script and says you know what? i like that line i'm gonna try i'm gonna put it in this new one and trying to make it iconic or if he feels that it is iconic because there's things that Quaritch says that are from the first movie i want you to see if you can pick them out i mean i will be able to yeah i'm sure well yeah because you just because i'm movie. rewatching it now yeah but then I'm yeah think about think about when you hear those lines did you think they were iconic when you just watched avatar probably or... not i don't think any of those lines are iconic yeah so it's just except interesting for, uh, except for Sigour- sigourney weaver saying uh motor function looks good because I've seen that clip, I've seen that clip of them behind the scenes with the CGI suits on Instagram mm-hmm. so many fucking times. <laughs> it's everywhere. Every time someone talks about Avatar, they show that one clip of them behind the scenes because it's like the only BTS they got apparently. And so they just show it side by side with the actual clip. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, did you not record anything else? Do you not have mm-hmm. any other scenes? Gotcha. Yeah, it was amazing when that. Uh, they replayed that scene in Avatar 2 and everyone stood up and clapped. It was fantastic. They re... Oh, you're, no, you're bullshitting me. God damn it. <laughs> it would have been amazing though if they, they did a Half callback through the movie, that. It stops and there's the a people. flashback and it's just that one scene of him waking up and then everybody's like, God, thank God. This is the best scene in the first movie. But yeah, it's a fascinating little thing of the callbacks and the references. That's another... Mm-hmm balancing act sequels got to do is how much do you reference the first one top gun yeah. maverick for instance did not say the most iconic line which is 
I feel a need, a need for speed. So it's fascinating where they will pick and choose. Yeah, but they other had other stuff, line. you know. They didn't. They wanted to create their own new lines, but they still paid homage in a lot of ways, like Sweet Balls of Fire and uh, did. mustaches and and beach scenes. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, there are elements they that hit they, the high marks. Yeah, they incorporate, but yeah, they didn't go for the low hanging fruit of a need for speed. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I couldn't I imagine his character saying that without Goose, though. I feel like that's the thing he says with Goose. Like they brought back the talk to me goose, which is what's more important. They did do that. The I feel the need, the need for speed is like a thing he did with goose. I feel like he would never say it again. True. I feel like it would have been one of the kids though to do it, like one of the younger generation. And then he has like a PTSD flashback <laughs> hearing it. Exactly. Eject, oh, eject, eject. I only he's had like, the oh. need with one man. And he's gone. Talk to me, goose. Yeah. But yeah. The um with aliens. It's yeah. a good point that you bring up of it wasn't written by James Garman. So this was him stepping into a an already already established franchise. And again, I mean, Ridley Scott was at the helm of the other one. So he had big shoes to fill. Mm. And yet he made it his own. And one thing with both Aliens and Terminator 2 that I think is fascinating is he kind of does lean more into the make it a different film, but with the yeah. same general premise. Because, like, these are different genres. Alien sure. is a horror film. Aliens yeah. is an action film. Like, one is sci-fi yeah. horror, one is sci-fi action. Same thing with Terminator. I think that's more of a thriller. And then Terminator 2 is just a straight-up action film. Yeah, you're 100% correct. He so, goes for a new theme, but I think the thing he recognizes is the potential to carry forward Ripley's story in a strong way instead of starting over from scratch. Yeah. Like he finishes out her story in a way that has even more closure than Alien did, which, I mean, it had enough, you know. Her story was done enough. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, nah, we find her. It's years later, and we keep it going. I'm like, all right, I'm game. Right, very true. Yeah, she, he true. extends, like, the themes around, like, self-determination, bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. A lot of maternal stuff in there you know with the first film often seen as like the allegory of sexual assault forceful impregnation all that stuff and then in the second film it's heavily leaning into the idea of ripley as a surrogate mother for newt and taking on those roles and then obviously the villain is or like her enemy ends up being the queen so another mother figure and then they're both sort of fighting for their children so yeah he does carry out that thread that was established in alien that does give it a nice thematic cohesion between the two films. And then, obviously, the xenomorphs are there. And he ups the ante by putting a whole lot more of them. We now have plural aliens. Um, and then also giving us one huge one in the queen. So a big bad to look out for. So, yeah, it is a very smart way that he's able to take the same essential elements. But then put a whole new spin on them. Put it in a new genre. But we're still satisfied because the familiar things are there. They're being developed in new and exciting ways. There's a continuity between like her character, what happened in the past, but we're seeing mm -hmm. new sides of her. So it is a very smart way to go about that. But ultimately, yeah, it is interesting that James Cameron just changed the genre for the two films that he made the sequels to, and they still worked incredibly well. And I feel like that's an even harder thing to accomplish but yeah. perhaps that is an interesting way to evaluate it is yeah. take the same core premise, but then put it in 
the setting of another genre and mm -hmm. see how you can use that to affect all those other things that we said are very essential the emotion yeah. complexity the big set pieces upping the ante with the stakes all that stuff yeah um, i think so, yeah. it's a great idea i i have to say i think, I think it was a good change of pace i mean if he had just done another slow burn horror movie it would have been too similar and mm -hmm. it wouldn't it just would not have been watchable as much you know right. it would have been good sure but it also would not have felt different enough to merit a sequel in the first place. Exactly. And another fascinating part of these two films and the franchises they're in is that the follow-ups to Aliens and Terminator 2, there are multiple films that come after these in the franchise, and they are not as good as sequels. All of them garbage are quite bad, although I haven't seen Terminator Salvation. And I don't think I've seen Prometheus yet, but they still Prometheus all, is bad. There will be people all, who will disagree with me, and those people are wrong. Yeah, there's some Prometheus lovers out there. They're wrong. But it is interesting as a case study to sort of examine what makes those films not as solid as sequels as these two films. And it could be potentially the way that they they try to fall back on a lot of the established elements of the first film and the things that have become iconic about the franchise and then they don't do enough to reinvent it like doing that whole change of pace of switching the genre makes aliens feel so fresh like it isn't a slow burn horror film where we're suddenly realizing oh snap these characters are getting taken out one by one and there's this horrible entity that's coming after them it's mm -hmm. these people are going in to a base knowing there are enemies and they're there to kill. They're there to fight. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what they're getting into. They're and allowed they to shoot the guns this time. Exactly. They're shooting the guns, but things go wrong, and then they have to fight for survival. So again, that element of like, oh, they're fighting for survival against aliens is there, but it's a twist. Same thing with Terminator. Again, we're on the run from a killing machine, but there's a whole point where our human characters decide they're going to go out and uh, try and accomplish some goal, preventing the future, taking out Miles Dyson, and then taking out all the Skynet stuff in Cyberdyne. Mm -hmm. And that's completely separate from them just running from a killing machine. Yeah, like they took back. it upon themselves to go and yeah, accomplish some mission and fight back in a certain way. So it works really well that they're able to reinvent things. And I wonder if we were to look at Alien 3 or then those later follow-ups that Ridley Scott has done or if we were to look at Terminator 3 and then the follow-ups, like Dark Fate, that James Cameron was more involved in. So, like, they did have those original visionaries of these films come back, but they weren't as well-received, well-regarded. Why is that? Where were the failures in those sequels? Whereas here, James Cameron was able to knock it out of the park twice. That'd be an yeah. interesting little thing to go back and try and figure that out. That would be fun. Potentially yeah. a possible episode in the future. Yeah. Maybe. It would mean me watching a lot of really, really bad movies. We'd have but to select, I'm I think, game. just one film from each franchise. I don't think we'd right. be able to do all three of them. But that way it'd be more manageable. But it would be interesting as a case study to see. Okay, We'd have to do Prometheus. No, you know what? Alien 3, because I haven't seen it. Prometheus would be kind of boring, and I will never watch Alien Covenant again in my life. Dang. You hated Alien Covenant? Did you watch it? I did. Come on, man. It was terrible. I, mean, I remember nothing except uh, Michael Fassbender 
<laughs> talking about fingering to himself. A flute. I that too. Yeah. A flute. Fingering a flute. A flute. <laughs> yeah. A flute. A flute. Okay. But Go it on. was uh, quite a moment. Quite sexually charged. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Definitely not good. I'll tell you that. I remember the alien ripping out of the one chick's back. Remember that? Right. No. Remember the alien looking really bad? I don't. I do remember him like crawling up on the flying thing. But yeah. I don't remember anything else. You know, yeah. I guess looking back, Prometheus, it's not the worst. That's not good. But would you say, is it like a big reinvention? Like a big departure from what Alien was originally? A departure? It just sure. goes too far in that in a vein. Good way, not cool. I wouldn't even say it goes too far. It's just aside from being like comparing it to alien movies in itself it's just not wit- written very well you know as a, a movie in the alien franchise it's neither too far apart nor too similar to say that that's the flaw i think the flaw is contained within itself it has issues gotcha but hmm. it's uh, i'm trying to remember cuz i watched it a long time ago and it wasn't the worst it gets worse as it goes on and that's that's one of my least favorite things about watching movies when it starts really strong or at least starts strong enough and then just gets worse. I'm like, bro, you, you had me. Why are you losing me now? I hate that. I would. There are movies where it starts kind of bad, but then gets better. Those are those are much more manageable. Movies that get worse are the worst. I hate that. That's true. It is very sad. Yeah. Always yeah. finish off strong. Always finish off strong. Come on, guys. Leave them walking out happy, and yeah, they'll forgive. A lot of the earlier stuff that was not so good. For sure. But yeah. So in talking about aliens, mm-hmm. just to touch on some of the major highlights of what makes it such a solid action film. And we mm-hmm. talked about that emotional center of Ripley and Newt. So they have that in there, which is very good. I so rewatching it, seeing that it's like the first hour essentially mm. that we don't encounter any aliens so they hold yeah. off on that they really build time. it up it's great they do. it's so, so fantastic because you have the advantage of people going in with the knowledge of what's coming whereas mm-hmm. an alien an alien you have the advantage of them not knowing what's coming which that which really scott uses to his advantage to surprise and then james cameron has the advantage of you knowing exactly what it is which he uses to build up suspense exactly yeah so that whole moment where they're all in the, I forget what it was called, but all of them are there with their guns ready to go. But then Ripley points out, oh, if you fire in this place, you're going to end up igniting something. So you can't use that live certain type of ammunition. Mm-hmm. And they had to collect it from everyone. And then now you know, oh, no. So they're, they're having to scale back on the weapons that they're using. We know that the like acid blood of the xenomorphs can be hardcore and they're in these close quarters. So yeah. And then also the, the gimmick they have the device of the sensor. Oh yeah. Hear all the ticks. The heartbeats. Um, Great. Exactly. So that's another great way to build up that suspense. Yeah. They, they ripped that off in uh, the first Jurassic world. Remember that? It's a very smart device to use. It is great storytelling device. So yeah, I don't blame him for ripping them off. I mean, I would have done it too. It's really, Absolutely. really smart. It's it great. Is. So yeah, they they use that, and it's a really effective once the xenomorphs finally do emerge and start 
taking out those first few people, a part of the Space Marines. So all of that is really solid. They also incorporate the a villain on the human side. So it's not just these aliens that we have to worry about, but also mm. there's someone that cannot be trusted that's on the human side. Mm. And so that adds another dimension of stakes. It's another and twist to look in out the for. knife. It's so good. Exactly. Same thing with the first alien. I mean, they've got the android that's there, mm-hmm. self-serving for the corporation, which is another nice twist of the knife. I mean, it's just, it's all just so well done. Exactly. Very solid. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out of what can make a good sequel and something that Cameron delivers on extremely well is putting that spin on familiar things in the particular mm-hmm. way he does it is to take something that is evil or something that was bad or nefarious in the first film and then make it good in the second film, make them an yeah. ally. So the android in the first film, as we saw, yeah, ended up betraying uh, the team and Ripley and then carrying into the second film, Ripley is very mistrustful of the the bishop, the android that is working on this crew. But it turns out that he is, in fact, a good person. He's yeah. like the main ally and one of the few survivors, although he gets ripped in half at the end. But he ends ripped. up saving, even as he's ripped in half, ends up saving Newt um, when the one door is opened and everything's getting sucked down to space. So they do that. And then with Arnold Schwarzenegger, T-800 in... T2, he's now the protector instead of the killer. So it's a nice way to have those same sort of elements present, but there's a new twist on it. Yeah. So it keeps it fresh and surprising. Because, yeah, you're, you are in the beginning of Aliens, you were aligned with Ripley and thinking, okay, we know what happened last time with this android. Is the same thing going to happen? And then with T2, again, when you first see Arnold, if you don't have any, if you didn't see the film where you don't know beforehand that he ends up being good. Yeah. Now you're scared once he shows up once again. So yeah. And we'll, really we'll talk technique. about that because that's, that's important for me when I watch it this time, we'll talk about it when we get there. Gotcha. But yeah. And then another major thing Cameron does, which is just again, great, uh, great sensibility when it comes to action directing is incorporating a lot of highs and lows in the action scenes making it multi-phased and having a lot of false victories. Yeah. He does this a lot in each of his films. And with aliens, we get an amazing one with the, the nuke goes off. They're leaving the planet and then they end up in the docking bay. She's there talking with Bishop. Everything's happy. And then out of nowhere, the man just gets snapped in half by the Queen xenomorph. Mm-hmm. And suddenly now we have to have a one-on-one battle with Ripley in the mech suit. Yeah. And then the major, the massive queen. Just so badass. And it is amazing. It's fantastic. It's so good. I mean, the the even putting all of the plot points aside and all the great filmmaking aside, the special effects in his movies are just phenomenal. That's why they're such good action movies. Same with, with uh, Mad Max Fury Road or some of the Die Hard movies. I mean, just really going all out with special effects really goes a long way. You know, story for an action movie story can only get you so far. It gets you close to the finish line. But that last step is really going all out in the actual special effects in the action for sure. And James Cameron 
with that special effects background knows what he's doing. He knows when to step up the effects knowing that it's a sequel, you know. I mean, look at Terminator. He was on such a limited budget, and then T2, the budget balloons up, and he knows how to use it properly. It's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a big component because it needs to feel real to us as the audience for it to have that full impact. And James Cameron is absolutely able to deliver on the special effects front. The thing I also think about these two sequels that we're talking about now is when you look at those actual action sequences themselves and compare it to action-ish sequences in the first movie, since neither of them are quite full action movies, Mm -hmm. Terminator gets close, but like Alien is, of course, a thriller horror that James Cameron didn't direct. But when you compare it, I mean, he's upping the action in a way where it just keeps going past, way past when you thought it would end. I mean, look at Terminator 2, you have that sequence where they're being chased in the uh, LA tunnel. I mean, it just keeps going. First, he gets down to the LA tunnel. And you're like, okay, great. It's over because he's driving a semi. He's not going to follow him. The semi goes off a bridge into the LA tunnel and keeps going. Now he's driving the bike down and then they're coming up to a low bridge and, he, and you're like, okay, it's going to end there. The truck's going to hit it. The truck hits it. It takes off the top of the truck. He's still in the truck driving. He's going for it. I mean, it just never ends. And then they blow up the truck with him in it. And then he just gets up and walks out of the fire. I mean, just keeps going nonstop there. It's so, so fantastic. Look at Aliens. I mean, the that last run from the, the Queen, they, yeah. they provoke her and then they're running up that elevator. And then you have the, fa- the, fake, uh, the fake out where they're at the, uh, the top of the elevator and you think they're done. And then boom, she's in the other elevator, right? And then she comes out and starts fighting them. And they get in the ship and you're like, all right, great, they're done. And there's another fake out. She's a stowaway and then they're fighting again i mean it just keeps the stakes going by saying let's just not end it let's just keep it going exactly, it's not over yeah. yet it's not over until they're dead Very you know true. keep it up and i will say in avatar 2 james cameron has not forgotten that skill ah stop spoiling it is, <laughs> well it's not really spoiling. it's just saying don't tell me anything in avatar 2 so you can at least look forward to that i am excited um, yeah yeah, certainly a great way to keep us fully engaged mm-hmm. and keep it very dynamic. Yeah, because, I mean, that is a danger of, oh, if you have a very long action sequence, it can get bored or things can start getting muddled. But, but if you make it more and more exciting, if you keep raising the stakes and keep, if you if you find a way where like, okay, it should end here, and then you go, but what if it didn't? Mm-hmm. And then you logically think of how it would keep going and you push it, it's awesome. Look at Mad Max. I mean, the obstacles that the, the antagonists have to face just to keep up with Tom Hardy's group and the fact that they don't stop and they keep going. I mean, it's one long chase. That's why yeah. it's so great. And then they turn around and then they chase back <laughs> the way they came. Very true. So yeah. good. It is fantastic. It is really well done. So yeah, any other things to talk about uh, in terms of aliens before we move on to T2? Um, I think having seen it so many times, there is a bit where it falters in terms of keeping those themes alive from the first movie. It certainly, you know, I think, I think it's because James Cameron was not involved in any way with the first alien that, you know, he's only continuing it as a viewer as someone who mm-hmm. saw the first movie. I think it does fall short of being a, a absolute perfect sequel for that reason, but I think it definitely does something different enough and definitely adds enough to the alien universe as well as Ripley's character to where it's, I mean, it's still great. Still fantastic. 
Absolutely. How many face hugger eggs out of five? Four. A four? Yeah. Solid. I'm giving it a 4.5. Now, here's the real question. Alien or aliens? Which one do you think is superior? Mm. And you have to I answer. didn't rewatch Alien for this, but I do think Alien is the better movie. I agree. I think it's just, I mean, yeah, it is so well done. And especially seeing it through the first time, I mean, yo. Yeah. Just mind-blowing. So, yeah, I think that one does take the cake. But Aliens is yeah. right on its heels, I think. Again, it, sure. it changes the genre. It yeah. tackles it from a different angle, but I think it does so extremely well. Like, it executes his vision mm-hmm. amazingly. So, yeah. yeah, I would give it a solid 4.5. And we'll revisit Alien when we get to our Ridley Scott director analysis part three, hopefully sometime in 2023. True. Or that. in our Alien franchise episode. Because I was thinking or, that is that. something we could do if we wanted we to talk do that, about sure. it. Because I know Sean Tormey would be all over that. Oh, yeah. He loves Alien and the whole oh, yeah. franchise. I know. Oh, I know. But yeah. Now, talking about Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Then we talked enough about what made terminator so successful i mean it was yeah. just a great thrilling cat yeah. and mouse chase i need to rewatch it i think i've only seen it twice and they were both a long time ago and oh, you watching because i've seen this. no i didn't rewatch it for this episode but i've seen t2 so many times because it's awesome and i again rewatched it for this because it's awesome mm-hmm. that and i've only seen the first terminator i know i saw it once for uh ritter's class on 80 sci-fi and then once before that in high school just because i'd never seen it before and i like it and i enjoy it and i don't remember anything about it gotcha i think it holds up extremely well like when i i did rewatch it for this episode and i was really impressed actually i think it's mm-hmm. like again it's just essentially that cat and mouse chase yeah. but it's done extremely well again he takes it more of a like the emotional core of it is more of the romance mm-hmm. than the like father-son, mother-son relationship in T2. Um, but I think just overall in terms of like the premise that he has here, I think it's the perfect execution of it. Like it is just fantastic. And the like the release of information that he gives to the audience, how we, he sets up all the questions in the beginning. Like if you've never seen Terminator before, and this is your first time in the franchise, the way that he's able to draw out all the questions you would have and then answer them but the exposition is delivered in a pretty natural way. Like everyone's mm-hmm. asking the questions you would ask at the proper time. And then the answers being given are just mysterious enough, but just do give you enough to understand where we're going and then mm-hmm. can continue it. He incorporates all those fake out victories. <laughs> There's so mm-hmm. many in the end of Terminator, but oh all my it's God, really solid. The effects, there are times where it's quite dated, but yeah, like the stop motion Terminator is a little much, but, there are other times the, uh, when it is just a full-sized endoskeleton, and it looks yeah. fantastic. Like, it is just it so beautiful and truly terrifying at certain parts. Like, Arnold, yeah, sure. in the beginning as well, he is really, really great in this role. Like, it is scary. Oh, oh my like, God. The, he's a very good actor when it comes to being the Terminator. He certainly is. Like, he, <laughs> like, one of the best slasher villains ever, to be honest, because the way he's coming through... And gunning these mofos down with his mm-hmm. laser red sight. Like, it is brutal. It's hardcore. Yeah. So, yeah, he does really well in that role. Um, 
So yeah, I think it's it holds up extremely well. It's a great yeah. film. What's amazing for like an acting perspective for Arnold Schwarzenegger is comparing him in the first movie about how terrifying and intense he is, and T two with how just warm and loving and and incredible he is in that one. Like yeah, polar opposites. It's it's incredibly well done, and he nails them both. So yeah, yeah. it's great oh, that 100%. he he's underrated in that sense. He's yeah. a very good actor, I would say. I would argue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a different kind of acting than like a serious drama, maybe. But I mean, he's putting in a lot of work to pull off something very difficult. And in that Absolutely. sense, he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. So, do you think you'd be able to give a rating or? It's just not fresh. For the enough first Terminator, mind. not fresh enough. Yeah, I Can't will give comment. it 4.5 cyborg endoskeletons out of five. Nice. It's now really... let's talk about T2. Just the best. Just absolutely fucking phenomenal. Like, I've seen it so many times in my life, and every single time it holds up. It is one of the greatest action movies. It is just nonstop awesome everything about it is amazing everything about it is just so well thought out all of the 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 drama and the themes with sarah connor's character and her trauma from the first movie that carries through much like ripley's trauma carries through in aliens i mean Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's holding so much tension in the movie the the knowledge of what will happen if they fail is just so incredible the stakes are so high oh my god it's just so and they have a goal they have a goal outside of running away and and surviving and it's thriving you know it's (laughs) defeating the enemy right yeah absolutely just oh god it's just so good i mean the 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 action the everything in it is the oh god i did i wrote it down every set piece is a banger i mean we could just we could go through and list every set piece that they have and every little action beat and it's just fantastic it's just like it so give, amazing. Every single one of them is amazing. And so much of it, but the thing about the film too, so much of it is done practically. Like they have yeah. a real helicopter going under the bridge. Oh my God, really it's crazy. That, oh my God, it goes under that it, bridge. Oh my God. Exactly. So they good. really sent that um, like semi-truck getting shaved. Yeah. It's a head shaved under the yeah. bridge as well. Like all that stuff is real. But then it also has some of the best most judicious use of VFX ever. And it looks really good. Like yeah, even to this day, much of it holds looks up. really, really good. Like that is so impressive. So fantastic. So I think the, the reflectiveness of it, like the nature behind it being so reflective is what makes it work so well. Cause you're just replicating the practical environment around you. And there's well, just yeah. so much you can do with it. I mean, but even that the, is the, the most amazing part is just the shot of, of the, of it being melted on the floor behind the security guard and have it come up in the shape of the security guard. I mean, that looks incredible. The look on uh, Robert Patrick when he goes through the bars in the psych ward, that's incredible. So good. And the, the really nice touch of that scene was when the gun gets caught behind him. Mm-hmm. Like adding in something like that oh, is just yeah. such a beautiful touch. It really so is. It just, it just, it's just like a, the little cherry on top. It little, is. Little but also, yeah, when he's going through and his face is like melting through the bars, I mean, it's flawless. It still looks so good. It looks great. Um, and yeah, as you pointed out, yeah, whenever he does go into the silver surfer chrome and you see reflections of the environment, 
like when he was in the helicopter, you could see the pilot's face reflecting in his face as he's morphing into it. What a I great scene where he goes, get out. <laughs> and the guy jumps out of the <laughs> he helicopter. He jumps out and he's like, all right, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm gone. Yeah, yeah that stuff is amazing. I mean, yeah, every set piece, I mean, yeah. what more can you say about it? It's fantastic. The whole, it oh, my God, dude. The whole flash forward bit of just the nuclear explosion. That was the thing I want to talk about, too, because I've seen this. Like you, I mean, so many times like yeah. as a kid as well. Anytime I'm scrolling through the channels and I see Terminator 2, I would always click it, play it, and watch at least a few scenes, depending on the time I may end up watching the rest of it. Um, and yeah, this scene is one that has always been burned into my mind ever since I first saw it. It is so haunting, so like graphic, so horrifying the the and specific the shot of her charred well body too. holding onto the fence and then just in one the explosion fingers, turning into fingers. a skeleton yeah it's oh insane god yeah, it looks so good that point too when all of her skin has been melted off and yeah, it's just a skeleton and she still has her fingers clenching and then the hard the cut back fence. to reality oh it's so good but it's also so good. yeah like all those explosions again doing it like there are some of the special effects like when they had the nuke like the blast going through sure. when it cuts to the miniatures getting completely destroyed by just whatever wind machine they had that was tearing those things up and then blasting yeah. them with flamethrowers as well all that That's looked awesome. phenomenal like it truly looked amazing and again yeah just the impact that the scene has especially like the playground thing you see it before like where they're all playing you see her yeah. and her great title sequence. get up yeah great the title, title sequence sequence. Well just the whole like playground on fire foreshadowing to it and then yeah you see it just gets destroyed and her her scream as well when she's getting blasted from it like it is so intense but so well done a phenomenal scene and then yeah so it also motivates her to go and become a terminator herself and try and take down uh which is such a good twist such a good twist on her character to make her go full terminator so good absolutely and then she can't go through with it so good it's all just so good there's so many little touches in the movie that are just absolutely perfect the the idea of like having that one guy the the uh orderly in the psych hospital lick her face just to make you hate him immediately i was yeah i was i watched it with alessandro and then Mm -hmm. we were pointing that out too of like what a great touch so that we can see her go fully unhinged like just beat him up and we when love she's it. trying to escape, and we're fully on board, we're rooting for it. Because yeah, they didn't need to do that at all, I but know. they put that in there so that yeah, once we see the, her smack him with whatever, and then like mm-hmm. snaps over the back of his head, we're like yes. And then yeah, that whole hospital scene as she's just going through and escaping herself, mm-hmm. it is fantastic. And then of course we see we have uh, the T one thousand, or wait no, we have Arnie. 800 and john coming up and then that elevator elevator sequence oh yeah oh so good as well when she it really is and starts freaking out the look on is her this, face okay this is what i want to talk about the twist of making the t1000 the bad guy and arnie the good guy i mean i had never thought about it before because because going into it i always knew arnold schwarzenegger is the good guy so i know it when i'm watching it that was but the, that idea. I thought about it this time for the first time ever. Like the idea of them trying to make that an actual twist, 
where you're in the theaters in 1991 thinking Arnold Schwarzenegger's the bad guy. And God, it's just, it would have been such a good twist. It would have been, yeah, one of the most mind-blowing, brilliant things ever. Because that's such a huge risk to do. We're going to take Arnold Schwarzenegger, the guy that was the villain in our first movie, who did it amazingly. Yeah. Right? Like, he was fantastic in the Brutal role. Brutal murderer. Now we're going to make him the good guy. Like, mm-hmm. imagine pitching that idea. and Because nowadays, yeah, like everyone knows the Terminator is like Arnold Schwarzenegger. We associate him positively with that role. Like, oh, he was the good guy in there. So we don't really appreciate the the balls to say, you know what, let's make him the good yeah. guy and have some we other villain come in and try and... We've never lived in a world where Arnold Schwarzenegger was just the evil Terminator. Exactly. You know, you and I, at least. Right. And yeah, we for seven years that's what most people were going through and then yeah. they did spoil it in the trailers for t2 because alessandra and i were really? talking about it we were like imagine if you didn't have that context going in that arnie was going to be awesome. a good guy and that twist would have been fantastic but we were looking through and i think i made a note here as well i think they should have played it up even more the i was thinking the exact the same thing that's why like, when i read it in the script i was like oh we're on the same page because i was yeah. like robert patrick has a very very intense face and he plays sure a really is. good villain. But he, he there's moments where he like puts on the nice guy voice and stuff. And I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, if he had if he had sold that a little bit better in the in-between scenes as the cop, I mean it would have just been even better. I think he was going full Terminator, like when he wasn't talking to people, he was like, I'm gonna be the robot Terminator that's going in. If they had really made him like seem like like a good guy kind of character throughout that whole opening bit. It would have sold it even better. I would have been like, man, what a twist. Absolutely. Because, yeah, we were talking about it. And the, and this is why I had the context of the Terminator, where they establish Arnold first. He beats up the people to get their clothes. And then mm-hmm. we see Kyle Reese come in. And he, like, steals somebody's, um, like, homeless guy's pants. And then is running from the cops. And then he, like, grabs them, puts them against the wall. And is like, what, what date is it? He's like, oh, it's April, whatever. And he's like, what year? What year is it? And then he runs away. I think he may have like clocked him, knock him out or something, or maybe not. But he runs away. But we can tell, like, okay, this guy is definitely more friendly than the other guy. And is probably on our side. Mm-hmm. But you do, there is still maybe, again, not to the extent, because we see Arnold absolutely demolishing people. Whereas he doesn't. He's just like looking through the phone book to try and find Sir Connor and then is like scoping her out. So we already get a sense more that like how Reese is good guy but there could be the unease of oh is he really yeah with this one the, first the only movie... thing that i think they could play it off is is the idea of maybe there were two different terminators but why wouldn't they have been working together so if they yeah. wanted to play up that twist more they should have given at least a little bit of a kyle reese moment to yeah uh, robert patrick so that we're able to see him because he like he gut punches the one cop really brutally and then yes. he lifts so his head up very yeah. angrily and Alessandro and I both were like oh he looks he looks kind of menacing there so yeah. maybe it wouldn't have come on now, this well. Do you, well they say that they sent back two uh, Terminators like in the narration like one of them is a guardian yeah. and one of them one of them is like a Terminator one of them is a reprogrammed Terminator sent as a guardian like they say that in the narration do you think it would have been more effective that they just said they sent back two I don't know another yeah, term. Yeah, we were gonna like go thing. with, and they, like, they made it seem like Robert Patrick was a human, and then the twist is that he's just another Terminator. Yeah, that could have been cool. Or if they, in the narration, they say they sent back two Terminators, then we see Arnie and Robert Patrick, and then now we think, okay, they're both trying to converge on John Connor, mm-hmm. and then that still would have had the good twist of, oh, 
one of these terminators is good actually yeah um i think that would have worked well or yeah the idea of oh is he the human um coming mm -hmm. back to try and protect yeah. him and arnie's the terminator again yeah either now, way i me, think is it's the first terminator well. is the first terminator the one where he goes one by one and just kills sarah connor's yes which is okay, so good it's such yeah a that's brutal, brutal. but i was thinking like that that was this movie i had forgot that it was the first terminator i was like he's gonna go one by one and kill john connor's and then the t-1000 just puts the name in and it puts the first address up and i was like oh i guess not and i was misremembering and then i thought maybe it was like a different franchise that they did that in then i was like oh no it's sarah connor in, in the first terminator i couldn't remember yeah it was the first terminator but yeah that's brutal it's it so is um but yeah in this film i still think that reveal it works so well but yeah could have been a little bit more of playing with the t-1000 sure. to make it work even better but yeah i mean it I just, just hurts imagine going in without yeah. that context it just would it have hurts been being us it hurts being us knowing that he's a good guy going into the movie it hurts mm -hmm. not getting the satisfaction of feeling that twist yeah because that's why just... i want to show this to people who have no who have just no concept of what t2 is you know have no exposure to it like show them the first terminator and be like man exactly. arnold schwarzenegger is a crazy guy and then show him this movie and they're like oh man he's back he's going full rogue again and then whoa mm -hmm. he's the good guy like i want to i want to i want to live through somebody else experiencing that true very true so yeah who doesn't somebody. know that arnie was like attached to the terminator i mean i guess there's some that could think he's the terminator and then they don't know there's a switch yeah. to the good guy um, i think i could find somebody that or just wait until your kids get old enough and then show it to them <laughs> limit their exposure to the world exactly so i mean can't get spoiled how there's so many world. times where i'm excited for alexa to learn something in like a, a movie that we're gonna watch soon and then she gets spoiled from like twitter and i'm like fuck yeah she that did is... that like three times with white lotus season two i was like dude come <laughs> on. tragic um tragic. but yeah i think that one like especially with your kids if they get old enough i mean i don't know if the spoiler will be there. Everyone would know Arnie is Terminator, but I don't think the like the plot element. I'll just show them T two when they're like seven. Expose them while they're young, before they get <laughs> spoiled. Well, you'd have to show them Terminator first, so then they can have the ter Terminator. Oh, you're two. right. Seven would be too young, I think. I mean, I know be, it's a joke. That'd be intense. Although, to be honest, when was the first time you watched T two? It was pretty young, right? Thirteen or fourteen, maybe. Really? I feel like Probably ten. God damn, dude. Well, you were flipping through channels and found it, right? Yeah, something like, well, because I think my dad would have shown me. I don't know. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but it's one of those films where it's just like I've always have seen it. And then was there a movie that like it. you watched when you were a kid and you were like, man, I was definitely too young to watch that? Honestly, no, because my parents were pretty good about not letting me watch our yeah. stuff. And yeah, if I was I'm watching on TV, all the, I guess, like bad stuff. Although I think the closest thing I had was Jaws. I think I watched Jaws too young. I might have been like 11. And like, I was like, I'm a kid and I just watched this kid get eaten by a shark. I was like, I thought kids were untouchable in movies. I didn't know kids could die. Right. It was my first exposure to that idea. And I was like, man, I guess I guess I could die by shark. It was never a concept. I, I was like, everybody gets old, right? You know, I was in the perspective of like, oh, everybody mm. grows old. And then I saw a kid get eaten by a shark and I was like, no, nah, that's not true. Kids can kids can get eaten <laughs> by sharks too. Kids can die, and wow. that it, yeah, that haunted me for a while. So yeah, I think. But honestly, I'm glad I watched it at that age, because nowadays it wouldn't have been as horrifying. And so I'm glad I got that. Uh, uh, what's it called? I got. I'm glad I got the interaction with Jaws. 
right of getting True. to see it in a horrifying manner yeah because that was to be before watched. the r-rated stuff right yeah probably i mean it was on tv could have been brought to uh the theater way back then that would have been truly horrifying on the big yeah. screen as well seeing it and never having seen anything like that before that had been super terrifying that would have been scary yeah that is an interesting thing to think about of like the age to yeah expose your kids to certain things i remember being young and my family was watching gone girl i probably was 14 you know because it came out in 2014 right a nice family film <laughs> they were watching gone girl without me okay and i wasn't allowed to go in the room in? Be because of the the last scene which everybody knew at the time it had been out for a while and everyone was like oh we know well, how gone girl tell ends. me you've never seen I gone girl seen it and I've i won't say anything i know that you and like, i should watch thing, gone girl together well, I, I added wanna, it, as you know, on my HBO Max watch list. Don't watch it without me. Don't watch it without me. Did Please, you just rewatch it? I did like, just rewatch it. And it's so fucking good. And I want to watch it with it you. I added the watch list. And I saw you watch it's, it. And I was like, oh, wow. It's so good. It's such a good movie. I want to watch it with you. Oh, my okay. God. I love Gone Girl. Please, please. Let's do a movie night. Please. I love Gone Girl. Okay. We can do it. It's so good. What you were spoil. saying, so we got well. There's a part of the end that uh, is inappropriate for children, and I walked in it, and it's like the thing that everybody knows about the movie. And uh, my parents were like, "You can't come and watch this movie because the rest of it's pretty mild, except for the the one inappropriate part." And then I walked in right, and that scene happened, and then they freaked out and ushered me out. But mm -hmm. I saw it, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that that was definitely not for a child my age." Gotcha. Crazy. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Do you remember Is the there... first R-rated movie you ever watched? No, because, I mean, there would have been R-rated movies I had seen before. Mm -hmm. I guess T2 is it. probably a good guess, you know. It's probably close to being the first. good one. But again, I mean, it was on, like, television, so any, like, really R-rated yeah. stuff was taken out. And I feel like that's mm -hmm. with a lot of the stuff I'd seen. But, I mean, the yeah, first... my dad had shown me, yeah. like, R-rated things. My parents mm -hmm. never let me watch anything R-rated growing up. And I remember the first R-rated thing that the, they let me sit down and watch the whole thing through was Argo. And it's because it was rated R because they say fuck a bunch. And they were right. like, you hear fuck enough at home. Just come and watch Argo with us. And I was like, okay. And I watched it. I was like, that was kind of boring. But it was my well, first R-rated movie. In theaters? That was your... No, they were watching it at home. Oh, okay. I was like 12. I was like, wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, I mean, my parents were pretty good about not showing like r-rated stuff but if my there was were too. something about it let my dad just wanted me to see it then he'd be like oh i mean we'll watch it it's fine um yeah but yeah in terms of in theaters i don't know do you remember the first r-rated thing that you could actually get into yourself when you turned 17 i remember wanting to sneak in to see get out and i couldn't because i just um, couldn't go that day because a bunch of our friends were, we were all 17 and a bunch of our friends were sneaking in to go watch it. And then I didn't. You I remember didn't, my dad taking, voting, but you decided not to go. They were all going and I had something else to do. Like I had like a family thing I had to go to. So I couldn't sneak in to get out with everybody, which made me sad. Going alone to an R-rated movie, I can't remember. I could probably just look back at what movies were coming out around the same time I turned 18 and find one. But I remember... I remember my dad taking me to see uh, Deadpool with some friends. That was 2016. Was the Green Hornet rated R? Do you remember? I don't remember. No, it was PG-13. God, 
I don't think they took me to see R-rated movies except for like Deadpool. But that's because yeah. it was a superhero movie. Two theaters, yeah, certainly not. That would that never happened. Yeah, when I was growing up. But I but can't at remember home, what R-rated movie I watched. I can't either. I'm trying to. I was trying to figure on out on my own. Because you have to be point, 17 or 18 to watch an R-rated 17. movie. Okay, so yeah, Get Out must have come out just before my 17th birthday. And so everybody yeah, was going to see it because they were all 17. And I was like, I really want to sneak in. And and I was and I just couldn't go. And it was just such a bummer. What else came out in 2017? God, what, what must I have seen? It had to have been a horror movie. I mean, there's so few. Gosh. I bet if I went back. Because I have, you know what? Hold right here. Just wait. Okay. You have your little scrapbook. I have this box of all of my ticket stubs that I've collected for a very long time. Let's see if it goes back to 2017. Because I like collecting the ticket stubs from the theaters. This is back when they used to print them. I mean, they don't print them anymore, really. I mean, I got the unlimited to just go right through. Yeah, this goes all the way back to 2013. So let's see if I can find it. There's Deadpool. That's 2016. 2016. 2016. 2016. La La Land. Nice. That's 2018. Okay, so I'm at 2017. That's May. Oh, okay. I think it was It. So oh, it was a horror movie. Sense. Yeah, and I chapter one because that came out in September. Yep, September 2017. That might have been you and I's first R-rated movie going on around without parents. It does make sense. Yeah. And then a little bit after that, I watched Three Billboards, and then Star Wars came out, and then Shape of Water, <laughs> uh, Phantom Thread, uh, The Post. Was Shape of Water R? Uh, Shape of Water was definitely R. Are you crazy? That was super violent. Lady Bird. I think that was R2. God, some of these are faded as hell because they sit in my wallet for a long time. Black Panther. My God, this go a while. Game Night. A Quiet Place. Avengers. Okay, looking back at the very first ticket. September 1st, 2013. What do you think the movie is? It's a 3D movie. 3D. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You, so this is the origin point. Well, now you have to watch Avatar in 3D so you can complete the Fuck cycle. no. <laughs> Your first uh, scrapbook ticket was 3D. The like first this. one that I remember I, that I still have. Because right. I might have thrown um, out other ones. I have no clue. In September of 2013, the yeah. 3D film? Can you, yeah. can you, is it animated? Or well, it wouldn't be animated, but is it? Now here's, here's the difficult part. Okay, I think I know what it is. Where is it? I think I know what it is, but it's hard to read. That's the problem. Oh, you you don't even? <laughs> it's it's written faded? weird. And I think I know what it is because it's a movie that came out. Okay, I think it's Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, that could make sense. It does seem because that came out in 2013. It says it says quote star slash wwz 3d. 
WWZ. Uh, it's definitely not World War Z because I've never seen that movie. <laughs> it was at the Oviedo w- Mall. WWZ? WWZ. I don't know why it would say that. Is it? I mean, no Star Wars film came out unless it would have been a real. It had to be Star Trek because Star Trek Into Darkness came out in 2013. But did they have it in 3D? Did I watch Star Trek Into Darkness in 3D when I was 13 years old? How wild. Do you know what the second ticket is? This is 2014 now. Star Trek Into Darkness came out in May 2013, so that doesn't seem likely. In September 3D. And it's not that. What could it be? Was there a Star Wars re-release? No, no. God, what could it be? It says Star slash WWZ. I don't know what that is. Listeners, if you know what Star slash WWZ is from September of 2013, please let me know. Because <laughs> I have no idea. Well, World War Z also came out in 2013, but I've never seen World War Z. Are you sure you've never seen it? I'm 100% positive. My parents would not have taken me to see a zombie movie at 2013, or in, at 13 years old. Mm. Was it like a double feature? God, what was this movie that I saw that I had this ticket for? And how odd that the next ticket is Monuments Men. Monuments Men? Yeah. That is really I have The Hobbit. I have the Lego movie. I have one of the Captain Americas. Red 2. Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think this is X-Men. Yeah, I don't... Edge of Tomorrow. Guardians of the Galaxy twice. St. Vincent. I have The Hobbit uh, I think Desolation of Smaug twice. Imitation so game. Yeah, apparently I've got two tickets for it from two different theaters. Wow. Imitation game, Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland was bad. I have Spy twice. I definitely saw that twice. Mission Impossible. I remember that one. That was a Rogue Nation. American what? It says American. I hate that they don't print the whole goddamn thing. Because now I don't even know what it is. American Sniper. No, I didn't see American Sniper. It was 2015. American Hustle. I think it might have been American Hustle. No. That came out later. Fuck if I know. (laughs) Uh, The Martian. Pitch Perfect 2. The first Jurassic World. Ant-Man. Pixels. God, this is a throwback. Giant. Yeah, Black Mass. Spectre. Star Wars, I have my ticket from when I saw Star Wars uh, 7 in theaters. Amazing. I have the Hateful Eight ticket from when I saw it. Bro, we went and saw the Hateful Eight at Regal when they were playing it on film. They were like showing on an 8mm film and we got through half the movie and my mom said that was disgusting and made me leave. (laughs) And so I didn't complete the other half of the movie until I watched it on Netflix like a year later. But I had the ticket from that and it's, it's... Disgusting. It's covered in black. I mean, it was in my wallet for so long you can barely read it. Oh. It oh. just says hate eight. <laughs> hate eight. Kung Fu um, Panda three. All right, let's Yeah, let's let's, let's get back on track. Sorry. I got I got caught up in my memories. But so let's talk about Terminator two again. I mean, just the best. Just 
I mean, yeah, nothing more needs to be said, really. Yeah, so, is there really any other high points. last minute thoughts about T2? It just can't be beat. I mean, I've yet to see an action movie top it for just sheer craziness and sheer over the top action. Mad Max is the closest that you can get to. Very, but true. even I don't even think Mad Max overtook Terminator 2 for just how wild it gets. <laughs> Factual, yeah, it's one of, if not the best action film ever made. Absolutely, that argument is very easy to make for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, which right. iteration of the Terminator would you rank this movie? The T one thousand to the T five thousand. This is a full T five thousand. For sure. Absolutely. 100%. Now, you can answer this question, but I can't. Terminator or Terminator 2? Don't even, you can't even ask it. T2. Come on. Yeah. Not even a competition. Yeah, for sure. I don't even know. I haven't seen Terminator in a while. But I'm 99% confident I will also say T2. All right. I think that's it. I think that's everything we can say about James Cameron's sequels. Absolutely. All there they is left will... to do now is watch the next sequel and talk about it next episode. Absolutely. Our Avatar special. 100%. That is all the time we have for you. would like to give your thoughts on the show. You can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDay. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about Avatar The Way of Water, and it's going to be fucking awesome. Have a great rest of your day.